0: Well, good evening, boys and girls. <clears throat> I want to tell you a story that happened to me. and I'm ashamed of this story, but I'm going to tell it to it to you so that you don't do what I did, OK? And so you pay attention. <clears throat> I want to teach you a word. <clears throat> now this is a pretty big word. It's called restitution. Have you ever heard that word before? Restitution. Have you? Well, have you ever went back and said you were sorry to somebody? Because why? Your mom told you you had to? Yep, me. Okay. I, well, <clears throat> time's coming when you're going to need to learn to do it on your own without mom telling you. Okay? When I was about 10 or 12 years old, I was allowed to have a friend over. After school, we used to do it that way. We grew up on farms, and it was really nice to have a friend over to help you with your chores. Now, I'm going to read you a verse I forgot to read you. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Do you understand that? If you're in this room back here, can God see you? If you're in your bed at night and the lamp is off, can God see you? Is there anywhere God can't see you? Yeah, the verse says everywhere. His eyes are everywhere. So you can't sneak anything on God. When anyway, I had this friend over and we was, we was in for a good time and my dad asked me if we wouldn't go up to one of our cow pastures and make sure a gate was closed. And I had this bright idea and really it wasn't very bright, but I thought it was bright at the time. So I went up to my bedroom, and I scraped up all the coins that I could find on the dresser and in the drawers, and my friend and I took off to shut this gate in the cow pasture. And we did shut the gate, so we obeyed, sort of. We shut the gate, but we kept on getting it. You see, there was a store um, two or three miles away from our farm that had all kinds of candy and everything. And the name of that store was Shiflet's, not Sheets, Shiflet's. And Shiflet, this was back in the 50s and 60s, which don't mean anything to you, but he was way ahead of his time. He had a convenience store before there was convenience stores. (laughs) And uh, maybe people got the idea to start Sheets from him. But, we took off running. And I didn't realize how far it really was. And we went up over this hill and down through the neighbor's barnyard and through their farm and over the hill and down through the next neighbors. And then we finally came to this river and I forgot about that there was a river. It was not a big river, but it was too far to jump. And it was kind of in the wintertime and it was cold and I didn't have a cloak like Elijah to hit the water to uh, park the waters where you could just walk through, and we had to get the shifflets, and so we quick took our shoes off and pulled our pants up, and that water was so cold it would take your breath away. But we got across the water and put our shoes back on, and then we got to some houses, and we were in the suburbs of Hinton, Virginia, which is not really a town at all, but there was some houses there, and we went running through the yard and across the, highway and into the store and we had a little bit of money maybe some nickels and dimes and quarters not a lot of money like it takes to buy junk food today but and we looked and we bought and we lusted and we stole because we had more loot than what we had money. And so some of that stuff went into my pocket. And then it was back through the yards and the houses and across that river again and back. And when we got home, here my family was setting up at the supper table. The chores were done and dad kind of gave me this hairy eyeball look and I could tell he was not impressed and um, He didn't make a scene of it because I had a friend there. But mom's good supper was spoiled by all the candy we ate that we got at the store. And the next day and a little later, I just kind of put that in the back of my memory and forgot about it. And in the fullness of time, some years later, I became a Christian. And as a young Christian, I had so many things to take care of and make restitution. I want you to learn what that word means. It's to go back and fix what you did wrong. You need to learn to do that. And I went back, and I went to this person and that person, but I forgot all about shifflets. And I became an adult and lived 500 miles away from there. And I would agreed to move to Canada, which was... 1800 miles from my house. And one day, the thought came back. Oh yeah, you remember that candy and bubble gum and and stuff you stole? And I knew that before I could go to Canada with a free heart, I needed to take care of the thing that I had done. It was ridiculous, stupid thing I did. I don't know why I did it. But Virginia was not on my way to Canada. and But I went anyway. I went to, uh, up into the Harrisonburg area to see some of my old friends. And I decided I was going to lay this thing to rest that had started to bother me, that had happened many years ago, and I'd already forgot about it but I wasn't forgetting it anymore. It was right up there front and center. And I went into the store and I might have stole a dollars worth of stuff, I don't know, but it was a big, it was plenty. A dollar was pretty big back then. And I had a five dollar bill and I went up to the lady running the cash register and it was the same old lady, old Mrs. Shifflett. And she looked like she'd been sucking on lemons She could have bit a nail. She didn't look happy at all. She never did look happy. And I went up to Mrs. Shifflett and I said, I was here a long time ago as a child and I stole some candy from you and I want to pay for it. And I handed her a $5 bill. And what do you think she did? Young man, what do you think? How about you there in the yellow dress? no i don't think she had a yellow dress on any what do you think people do when children come or people come back and apologize what do you think well you know i thought maybe she would say oh that's okay you know that was a long time ago and here just keep your money because some people did me that way but i held the five dollar bill over there towards her and she snatched that thing from my fingers and mashed the cash register and the drawer flew out and she stuck that thing in there and smacked it back shut and she stared at me and she didn't say a thing I thought maybe she was going to call the policeman and so as soon as I felt it was safe I gave her ample opportunity to to say something and forgive me I asked her if she'd forgive me and she wouldn't say anything and I just eased on back out of that store. But you know what, I could have walked on water. I felt so good. That thing was gone from my mind. Oh, I remembered, I'm telling you the story. But it never bothered me anymore. That is what restitution is. When you go back and fix what you did wrong. And so you all are young, and you're not making a lot of mistakes yet. But I want to tell you, as your conscience uh, or the feelings that you have bother you, listen to them and fix it now. Don't wait 15 years. Okay? Remember that. Okay, you can go back. I again want to greet each of you and consider it a privilege to be here and share with you. I thank you for your kindness and your attention. Tomorrow night I'd like to share about the outreach and mission of the church, our responsibility to think beyond ourselves. Saturday night I have something for the young people. And then Sunday morning I have things more directed towards the family. I was talking to Brother Beachy last night, and he told me he likes things out of the Old Testament, and so I think I'm going to go there tonight. A life of consistency, and that is taken from an example from Abraham and Isaac. And if you would try to explain consistency, you know, I had a pretty young group there this evening, and they never. They couldn't kind of wrap their minds around restitution. But consistency means different things to different people, but it's a firmness of constitution and character. Or a harmony of conduct and practice with our profession. We do what we say. We, We walk the talk. Or thirdly, it's showing steady conformity to character, profession, belief, or custom. Now, we no longer have children in school. We finally got those years behind us. They were good years. But, you know, the routine of school, you know how it is. You've got to get the children up, breakfast done, the lunches packed, all their books and sign the notes why Johnny didn't do his homework, and off and out to school. It puts rhythm into your life. You know, summer vacation, people can kind of get out of rhythm. Their children don't have to meet those deadlines and those times. But when I was going to school each, each spring, it was as regular as clockwork. One day the teacher would say, tomorrow bring two number two lead pencils and a big eraser. And you know what that meant? Achievement tests. We called them dot tests, you know teacher would set the timer with a bell on it and, and you would read these lessons and fill in these dots. I guess you all still do that. Dot tests are overrated, trust me. But perhaps, I don't know if I was in the fifth or sixth grade and some of us students, we were out at <clears throat> play period and we, we were just plumb burned out on dot tests and racing against the teacher's timer and. We got to thinking, you know, the teacher don't really grade these papers. We don't know what she does with them, but I don't think it affects our grade on our report card that our parents see. And the conversation kind of went downhill from there. And we made this um, pact among ourselves that when we go in for our next session of dot tests, we're just going to skip that reading part and we're just gonna go down through there and fill out the dots as the spirit leads and (laughs) let me tell you that's the spirit of foolishness (laughs) but that's what we did and I believe that was before computers graded those papers with all the little dots I don't know be that as it may but I feel certain whoever sat down and graded those papers could see that there was a bunch of little boys whose test score started out probably pretty normal, but slipped in despair and gave up hope. And I don't know what became, I don't know if at the next uh, school board meeting if that school got their funding cut and the teacher got a, a demotion in her pay or if the credibility of that school was ruined forever, I don't know but i'm sure that the grade level equivalent or our iq score was much lower than it should or could have been you know the scriptures tell us about a test in genesis chapter 22 and i'm going to take the time to read the first 11 verses so if you want to turn to genesis 22 1 to 14. Now the scriptures tell us that Abraham was tested and it was a whole lot more serious and a lot more grievous than some achievement test that you take at school. God tests us as well and some have greater or lesser consequences and for the next several minutes I want to talk about some of these tests and about living consistently and with integrity, especially to those of you who are in your childbearing and childrearing years. It is so important that you pass this test. Future generations are depending on you. Failure is not a good option. And there can be small corrections made along the way, but you can't go back and redo it. There are no second chances around with your family. starting with verse 1. Some time later, and it came to pass, after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains that I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and clave the wood to the, for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both went with them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together, and they came to the place that God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his son and took the knife to slay his son. And an angel of the Lord called out to him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to harm him or unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there behind him a ram was caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went... And took the ram and offered him as a burnt offering, an offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. <clears throat> now Abraham's obedience and faithfulness to God's request is probably one of the most emotionally gripping of all the Bible stories, right up there with the crucifixion of Christ. And unless you've had children... It's difficult to imagine this thing of giving up your own child. There is so much detail that is not given to us, yet there's enough detail that, you know, it really stirs our minds and helps us to think that only the coldest heart wouldn't be touched by the emotion of that story. I want to tell you this evening that there will be times of testing In every family. Some experience difficulty more than others. And it's the way life is. To take a biblical position in your child training when the world has hopelessly went off course. It takes a lot of courage. But it's a test that you dare not fail Things have changed a lot from when many of us went to school and we went to public school, I did. Probably some of you older ones did too. Uh, we had the pledge allegiance to the flag. Do you, how many of y'all, do you fellows know what pledge allegiance to the flag is? How about you in the green plaid shirt? Do you ever pledge allegiance to the flag? You don't know about it? You know about it, do you, black shirt. You know about Pledge Allegiance? Yeah. You ever do it?
1: Never
0: have. No. Do you know why you never have? Um, Because I'm in
1: terms of adult marriage, I, I have. Okay. I to a separate kingdom from the United States.
0: Okay. Well, <clears throat> often there, there's a whole generation of young people growing up in our churches that have never been asked to pledge allegiance to the flag or don't know what pledging allegiance to the flag is. Well, then there was the prom. How many of y'all have been to the prom? How many of you wanted to go to the prom? Um, Well, we didn't go to the prom. And to the dance. And then there was all the music. I remember the rock bands coming to school. And... Then there was this whole evolution versus creation thing. And gym shorts. You know, we, it was this thing. Our parents didn't want us to wear gym shorts. You know, we had to be different. We had to wear long pants and T-shirts and, and be scoffed at, you know. And then there was the shirts and the skins. Do you all know what that is? Rick what's shirts and skins. That's right. And the shirts wore their t-shirts and the skins didn't, right? And so what if you was a pious young Mennonite boy and and your team was skiing? So what did you do? Well, there was times some of us were skins because we felt if we could go swimming with guys and there weren't no girls around we could play football with guys and but we didn't tell our parents okay i'm telling you this because young people i think sometimes you take for granted that you don't understand how much different we are you grow up in Sunday school and then you go to Vacation Bible school and you go to Christian school and then you go to youth group and off to Bible school. All wonderful things. I'm 100% in support of them. But then these people go off and get a job in the world and they're mesmerized by all these things and they've never been tested. Well, that's a little bit getting off track, but I want to tell you You need to know what you believe. Well, then when you turned 18, you know, you had to go and register for the draft. And you you still have to do that, and if you don't, you should. But my birth year was the last year of the draft. And um, how many of you all went into service? One, two, three, okay. They were doing the lottery. The Vietnam War was winding down, and so... I was given a high number, but I volunteered and I went into VS. You know, our position of not participating in war, and I know the Vietnam War wasn't all that popular, but it still felt a little odd to see your buddies going off to war and they wondered why you weren't. And then there was the alternate service and the high casualty rate of the 1W program. Parenting wasn't for cowards back then, but I want to tell you parenting isn't for cowards today. The temptations are different. I want to read you a story. This is written by Eli Schwalm. He's a Canadian, and it's about his time of being drafted into the Royal Canadian Army during World War I. I was fortunate enough to have been exposed to the biblical teachings of non-resistance from my earliest memory. and On approaching maturity, I endeavored to rethink these positions for myself. This resulted in a staunch decision that I could not participate in any form of Army service. Early in the summer of 1918, the last year of World War I, I was drafted into the Royal Canadian Army. Father and son walked solemnly the two miles to the railroad depot where we took the train to Hamilton. Our conversation was punctuated with periods of silence. Then at one point, Dad spoke I feel this morning something like Abraham must have felt on his way to Mount Moriah. Now certainly I would not be so immodest as to elevate my father to the status of father of the faithful. I cannot escape, however, remembering his bravery and his Christian fortitude as he faced the whole ordeal. One instance of his heroism may suffice. While doing the morning chores shortly before my departure, he directed the following conversation. My boy... You will soon be leaving me, and we cannot tell what the consequences will be. I want to ask you, if worse comes to worse, how is it with your soul? To this, I took a rapid retrospective of my past and recalled the two crises in my spiritual life, of which he was aware. They were my conversion at 12 years and my entire commitment to Christ at 19 years. All oh, I said in reply was, it holds good this morning. Now what followed was a bit dramatic. He put his bony left arm around my neck and said, my boy, I do not know how I can get along here without you on the farm with only one arm, but I want you to stand true for God and your convictions at any price. I would rather get word that you were shot than to know that you compromised your position and disobeyed the Lord. Such rugged faith and staunch belief produced a buoyancy in my soul that I needed. I can never forget it. And we went into our granary, and we had a season of prayer together, and what a prayer meeting that was. Well, we learned something else about Abraham's character and why God had chosen him and Sarah to be the family line through whom Christ would come into the world. We're familiar with those verses, Genesis 18, 19, for I have chosen him so he that, that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham What he promised. What a compliment. And it's my prayer that the same thing can be said of you and I and the way that we go about raising our families for the Lord and his service. Now, back to Genesis 22. So much is not said, but we can imagine. When God said, he answered. Behold, here I am. His trust is in God, and he's been following him since his call from Ur all the way to Chaldees. He packed his bags, and he left the comfortable. He left that cushy place back in Mesopotamia, you know, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Indiana, wherever. He packed his bags to follow God. Where? To a place that I will show you. Abraham's response was staggering. He gave instant and unquestioning obedience. Even God says that he got up early in the morning for an early start. You know, if God would ask that of me, I'd I'd have hung around the house as long as I could, put it off. Maybe God would have mercy on me, but said Abraham got up early to get an early start, loaded his donkey and took off. Where did he go? Again, to where God would show him. And so how quick are you and I to follow the gentle or not so gentle promptings of the God in your life? James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. When God calls, you answer. Well, the commentaries say that it was 50 miles from Beersheba up to Mount Moriah, which was a three-day journey. And I don't know what they talked about or if they even talked at all. I, I can't think that the trip was all that good. It was probably mostly silent and very difficult. Abraham knew that God had indeed planned a future around his son Isaac, and that he said that he was going to bless him through Isaac but it seemed that God was going to extremes or to prove his commitment but we also know that Abraham believed because he told his servants to stay back with the donkey and the camping gear and we know that his commitment and resolve was to follow God in full and complete obedience because he told his servants we will worship and then we will do what? come back I don't know if I would have thought that well then he takes the wood and puts it on Isaac's back he takes the knife and the fire pot and they climbed on now let's talk a little bit about Isaac how old was Isaac Gerald okay Anybody, Paul, I know you're, some of you, I know your names. How old was Isaac? All right. Most of the commentaries I read gave a, a, an age. But remember, Isaac was carrying the wood. And it was a wood for a sacrifice, not a little campfire, not a little Boy Scout fire. He had to be big and strong to carry that much wood to the top of the mountain. Most commentaries suggest he was 15 to 25, or let's let's say seventeen. And so now I ask you, how old was Abraham? Brother Sam okay, how old was he when Isaac was born? He was a hundred, and so. <clears throat> He was 115 or 125. And so the wood would have probably been way too heavy for a man that old to carry. And so that's why he took the matches and the knife, I guess. I would have too. So let me ask you this Young fellas, why didn't Isaac tell his father, I ain't going? why why didn't he say you know we got a men's ball game up there in lynchburg that i want to go to and and me and my buds are going to go eat out after and you know what's you're it don't sound like a whole lot of fun to me I, I ain't going or why did he just stand there and let his dad tie all that wood on his back and if he was a teenager and abraham would no doubt had to struggle to get him up on the altar. you know if he was that old, I doubt if he could just bench press that big boy up on the altar unless their altars were really low. But I'm guessing Isaac must have kind of halfway climbed up there himself. Why didn't he run away? You know He, he said, "Mom, you know Dad's been out in the sun too long if something's not right. just why?" did you ever think about Isaac why did he stand there as a strapping teenager and let his dad do all these things he gets on the altar he lays real still he watches his dad oh his dad tied him up first and he watches his dad rear back with the knife he could have got up and ran away or he could have never let this happen Well, I cannot answer all those questions, but I have a pretty good idea. I'm going to suggest to you this evening that Abraham lived a life of consistency and that he had demonstrated a close walk with God and Isaac and others who knew him knew they could trust him. Fathers, can your sons trust you that way? We know that Abraham was fallible. He had a fibbing tongue. He had a gorgeous wife, the Bible tells him. So I looked at a Bible story book of a picture of Sarah, and she didn't look all that great, but uh, the Bible says she was gorgeous. And yet in spite of his failures, his heart and his conduct was to follow God at all costs. Nothing held back. And so I'm pleading with you tonight, fathers and mothers, to live a life of consistency before your children. You cannot retake this test. Well, I wanna make it practical. And I am going to mention some areas that I think we as conservative Anabaptists need to work on. And the first one is speech. The scriptures have much to say about our speech and choice of words so much so that I don't care how many black hats you have or how many plain coats you wear or have in your closet, your speech will keep you out of heaven. And you had better learn to be consistent in this area. Matthew 12:36 and 37, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. But among you there must never, ever be a hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor there should be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which is out of place, but rather thanksgiving." And then Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it be good or evil. As of yesterday, there were 1,025,109 words in the English language. And when we have to resort to three- and four-letter words that are often coarse or worse, mixed with bathroom functions and sexual activity in our conversation, we have very, very small minds that need to be redeemed. I'm sorry. That's what the scriptures tell us. I can never, ever remember my dad using those words unless he was talking about a beast of burden when reading from the King James Version. And I hope that my boys can say the same of me. It's a shameful thing when the Sunday school teacher or the school teacher have to bring punishment to bear on students who come there with a potty mouth, learn from a potty mouth mom or dad. You cannot do these things and be a godly person. I want to read a poem. He whipped his boy for lying, his cheeks were flaming red. And of course, there's no denying there was truth in what he said that a liar's always hated. But the little fellow knew that his father often stated many things that were untrue. He caught the youngster cheating, and he sent him up to bed. And it's useless now repeating all the bitter things he said. He talked of honor loudly and a lesson to be learned, and forget forgot that he'd boasted proudly. Of cunning tricks that he'd turned. He heard the youngster swearing and he punished him again. He'd have no boy as daring as to utter words profane, and yet the youngster could have told him, poor misguided little elf, that it seemed unfair to scold him when he often cursed himself. All in vain, all in vain in splendid preaching. And the noble things we say, all our talk is wasted teaching. If we do not lead the way, we can never, by revealing all the sermons on the shelf, keep the younger hands from doing what we often do ourselves. Well, I want to talk a little bit about music. And um, I'm not going to wade out real deep in that swamp. I'm going to let your local ministry take care of that. Um, I just want to say a few things. Most of what's on the radio is nothing more than a landmine of toxic waste site for those of us who are serious followers of the meek and lowly Jesus. There's sports talk, trash talk, car talk what have you, and they often say things, as it says in Ephesians 5, 3, and 4, filthiness, foolishness, jesting, coarse joking, or laughing at things that are shameful. I want to remind you again that if your music sounds like a cow in labor, your children's will be worse. What parents allow in moderation, your children will often excuse in excess. And um, I have employees and I've got tractors and cotton pickers and it bothers me and maybe it's sometimes my boys and I, I chide them. When you get in a vehicle and the presets are set on these ungodly stations, it grieves my heart. It tells me more about you than I want to know. Please, I'm pleading with you, be careful. Romans 14.22, blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by the things he approves. Abraham didn't get Isaac up there on the altar by sending him confusing signals. He was a man of consistency. Many years ago, my wife and I lived on a reservation, Sandy Lake, Ontario. And we lived a mile across the lake from the village. You either got there by boat or snow machine in the winter. There was a footpath that you could walk around the end of the lake and get there. And it was very remote, and we didn't have electricity. But I had a collection of, of glass batteries that I got off of Bell Canada and made us a 32-volt electrical system, and we could have some lights sometimes and a few things. And one day the thought occurred to me that if I just hook up a series of six of those batteries and got myself a good uh, tape player from Winnipeg or somewhere, that we could have music. And um, so the next time I was out, I got me a a good tape player and... um, Some Jensen triaxles, do y'all remember those? You know, they put them in the back window of your car and and you crank the bass up and make your pants legs flutter, you know, and um, so I got these things and made a little cabinet there. And I had my tape player on it and we had music. And life was good. And we had music from church groups, you know, we had some a cappella music, we had some vocal music, some instrumental music, you know, like Handel's Messiah, and, and then I had a tape or two of Lamb. And Lamb was a Messianic Jewish group, and those of you who know about Jewish music, um, Jewish music's a little happier than what we normally sing in our church and it often has a little more tempo, and, and if you're not careful, you could start beating time or tapping your toe to it, and, and um, they had that deep bass coming through those Jensen triaxles, and life was good. I enjoyed it then, and I could enjoy it now. You could whistle the tune. It wasn't the stuff you can't whistle, you know. You could whistle the tune, and... You could understand the words, and there was a God-honoring message. It was a whole different league than Grandma's rocking chair and long black train and all these sweet sentimentals and this Southern. It, it was, this was okay stuff, I thought. But one day the thought occurred to me. Could these native people who I am here to share the light of the gospel, when they walk through the bush and hear our, near our place and hear the music, the sound, you know, like in Daniel 3, 5, the, the sound of the cornet and the flute and the harp and the sackbut and the psaltery and the dulcimer and all kinds of music, would they have the discernment to know that I'm listening to gospel music? I wanted to give them a clear signal of what I was listening to, that it was sanctified. But did it remind them of the depravity that they used to? to enjoy. And so we made some changes for their good. You will need to do the same for your children. One time when we were my children were little we took our children to a song, to a church that is <clears throat> a charismatic church and and we had to shout to each other to, to communicate and um Our little boy there, Gideon, he says, hey, mom, this sounds like the Pizza Hut. And so I'm just gonna ask you in your choice of music, do not give confusing signals. Well, what are we doing with our time? I touched on this a bit last night and I wanna talk about it some more. What are we doing with our time? Do you feel the need to be entertained when you're not involved with your vocation or daily routine? Do you read and meditate on something inspirational, a book, Christian writings, or your Bible? When you're occupied for a moment, do you find your phone or tablet or YouTube clips to be your companion? We need to watch that. And Brother Gerald and his wife and I had that conversation today. We are changing modes um, in the way that we get our information. We must not become all absorbed and consumed by it. It's not wrong in itself, but it can soon control us. I would like to say, beware of the snare of movies. They will compete with that which is good and spiritually uplifting for the loyalty of your soul. You know, in Psalms 106, verse 95, it talks about leanness of soul. And I want to suggest to you that if you feed yourself on a steady diet of movies, you will have a lean soul. Well, we have many options available in our homes to, to satisfy the cravings of an empty heart. You can get a subscription to Netflix or a movie channel, or you can stream TV through your computer or you can fill your heart and soul with a a steady diet of movies and that is not the abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10 I want to tell you about some of my issues with movies movies in themselves are neither good nor bad um But yet, the content of so many of them is not the kind of things that serious followers of the meek and lowly Jesus should feed themselves. You know, most movies, even the, quote, good ones, have love scenes in them. And um, the actors are not husband and wife, and I kind of have a problem with that. Would you feel comfortable with your mama going to work and and making movies with some guy and and then and kissing him all day and then coming home and cooking supper and that was just all in a day's work and you know, making this Christian movie? I I just don't feel good about that. And would you want your wife or girlfriend or mother to do those things for a living? Well, it's a Christian movie. I'm sorry, I I don't think that makes it right. Some of you know Frank Reed. And um, he's quite a good thinker. He's from the Church of the Brethren. And he wrote something here recently, and I want to read some of it. Why do I not watch movies? And why should you not watch movies? Movie watching will cause lack of spiritual discernment, lack of discretion, desensitization to immodesty, desensitization to immorality, desensitization to violence, desensitization to vile behavior, desensitization to vile language, and desensitization to uh, violation of biblical teaching. Sin becomes normal, and that is too high a price to pay for an hour of escape from the stresses of life. Among my objections to movies is that God's name is frequently used in vile ways, and how can we as a Christian sit there and allow the name of God to be used as a curse word? A Christian cannot do that. A Christian will walk out when this happens in a movie. And he has a good article. I mean, that's just part of it. We need to be open with those we love and work with and to admit wrong. And I talk to the children about restitution Assume responsibility for your wrongs. Learn to ask forgiveness. Be quick to ask forgiveness. Moms and dads, be quick to work through the disagreements that may arise or do happen in married life. Your children are watching. Do they see an example of godliness, of godly parents and a meek and forgiving spirits in those that they need to trust the most? Way too often. I find the need to go back to my boys, or grasshopper, or employee, and say I'm sorry and ask forgiveness, and maybe they don't think it's enough. But don't murmur and keep a record of wrongs. Too often, fathers have one standard for themselves and another standard for everybody else. The fallout on your children will be disastrous. And I can think of dads who just, you know, I read that poem. Dad justified things in his life, but he was intolerant to that same habit in others. Well, what about when parents fly the coop? You know, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. What happens when parents don't do that? It's devastating for children when they have been taught the straight and narrow way only to watch their parents abandon their convictions and make chore poor choices in their midlife and senior years. I had meetings in a church a while back and a young man came up and introduced himself to me and, and um, you know, I, I was from Harrisonburg and he knew that I would know some of the older people but I sensed he didn't want to tell me about his dad But he kind of let it out a little bit, and then I realized that here was a young man who was raising a godly family, had godly teenage children, and his dad was totally off the deep end and had lost out his faith. And I was so blessed by that young man that even though his dad in his older years showed him a bad example, that he chose to follow the straight and narrow I used to live up north, and my wife's mother passed away a few years ago, and we went to the funeral, and about 100 miles south of Red Lake, there's a filling station, and you'd better make your pit stop there and get your soda there, because it's a long ride to Red Lake, and we stopped there, and as we were going in, out came an elderly couple in their 70s. He used to be my co-worker, at the mission. He used to be my supervisor, and he, us VS guys thought he was tough on us. We thought he was a killjoy, and he was so meticulous, and, and um, we kind of had this joke of, amongst ourselves about how, how tough he was, and he subscribed to the beachy faith at that time, and here they come out of the store as we were going in and his wife was in blue jeans and had a pearly perm and and um, I told my wife I'm going over and talk to them people and she says no you're not and, um, and I says, why well, I'm gonna write them a letter when I get home and she says no you're not but I that man was so square and so conservative and here he was, an old man, and it throwed it all out the window. And um, don't do that to your children or your grandchildren. It gives them terrible confusing signals. Consistency in our view of health, excuse me, consistency in our view of wealth and success and honesty. Do our children and others know they're watching? Are we tight-fisted and stingy and known for driving hard bargains? Psalm 112, 5. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely and who conducts his affairs with justice. I want to read you a story. This is a true story. It was the summer I just turned 19 at the age of which young boys are apt to notice a lot of things and have a lot of questions. I had my own horse and buggy, and it was a beautiful Sunday, sunny, sunny afternoon, and I was on my way home from church. Now the preachers were, peaches were hanging thick on the trees for harvest as I was going past my uncle's place, whom we shall call Ike Schmucker. And I decided to stop in for a visit with my cousins, and just as I drove in, A young man, who we shall call Bob Walters, came driving in two, accompanied by his wife. Now, Bob had a blacksmith's shop and a general repair shop in a nearby town. My uncle was standing in the yard, and Bob said, Hello there, Ike. It's a nice day. Yes, it is, said my uncle. Say, Ike, I brought my wife down here to see about getting some peaches. Looks like you're going to have a lot of them. Well, yes, we do, Ike." answered slowly, but today is Sunday, and we don't sell peaches on Sunday. All right, all right, Bob answered. I just thought we'd like to take a look at them to see if we want to buy some or not. Well, I'd rather not show them on Sunday either, my uncle said, trying hard to be nice to Bob. But you know it is hard for me to get away from my shop during the week, Bob coaxed, if we could just take a look at him now, maybe we could make arrangements to pick some up next week. Well, my uncle didn't budge, and from there the conversation turned from peaches to the prospects of a good corn crop, and it was unanimously agreed that a good rain was needed. Yes, my uncle said, that reminds me. I have a piece that's broken on my manure spreader, and if I... I have it already taken off so maybe when you come to look at them peaches then you can take it along and weld it then I can pick it up next time that I'm in town oh yes I'd be glad to do that Bob answered and they visited a while and then Bob said when he was ready to go why don't I just take that piece along now for the manure spreader then I can fix it and bring it back so when you and I come to look at your peaches for next week I can bring it back I'll run and get it right away, my uncle said. And there I sat in my buggy. I saw and heard the whole episode, and I could hardly believe what I was hearing. And I tried to get Uncle Ike's attention as he hurried past me before, but I passed me as he ran towards the shed to get the broken piece for the manure spreader. But he never noticed me. He never noticed the big question mark that was on my face. I couldn't understand it then, and I've often thought about it since, which has been a good many years, and I still can't understand it. What did Bob Walters think of this man who refused to let him look at Peaches on Sunday, but saw nothing wrong with sending a broken piece of machinery with him home to get it fixed? one more two-way honesty I was on a bus which was traveling from Lancaster to boo Ball. Rick does that sound familiar <clears throat> as we were passing through the Groffdale, Leora area three plain ladies Amish and Mennonites boarded the bus this in itself is not unusual and after arriving in New Holland all the passengers got off except myself the bus driver was a really friendly chap, and soon he was had an interesting conversation going. He said he wondered if I noticed anything unusual when those three ladies boarded the bus. I hadn't been aware of anything, so he told me the following story. Frequently, when we bus drivers gather at the office, we discuss the method which many of the plain people use when they pay their fares. As they board the bus, their first question is how much to New Holland or wherever they happen to be going and even though they always ask we notice the majority of the people already have the correct amount of change in their hands now this was amusing to us so we decided to play a little game of our own as these folks would get on the bus and ask the usual question we would purposefully either increase or decrease the fare by 10 cents to see what would happen And the result was that nine out of ten would tell you when we requested too much, proceeding to tell us the correct amount and then pay it. However, when we decreased the fare, not one person would tell us about this. They calmly paid what was requested and kept the change. And the bus driver continued, Of those three ladies who boarded the bus, all had the correct change in their hands, Yet not one of them made any kind of remark as to why the fare had been decreased. And so I stop here and wonder, just what is honesty? I frequently ride this bus, and I wonder if I've ever been tested in this way. Is it leaving a good witness to only correct a mistake when it's in our favor to do so? Perhaps each person should seriously consider this the next time he notices a price change regardless of whether the price is quoted up or quoted down. Genesis chapter 22 verse 12 and 18 say this, Because you have done this and not withheld withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you Because you have obeyed my voice. And so I ask you this evening. Are you holding anything back from God? Are there areas in your life that you haven't let go of? Or you feel defeated over and over again? Perhaps today. You need to make a stand to live a life of consistency. There are many others who are depending upon you to make that choice and lead the way. And in closing, I wanna read a poem. How are you raising your son? You're raising cotton and corn, you say, as fine as the earth will grow. You're raising cattle and hogs and poultry that win wherever you go. You're raising wheat that is hard to beat, And I know you're counting them on, but tell me this, O man of the soil, how are you raising your son? Do you take the time to talk to him of things that he ought to know? Do you show him the good and the bad of life and teach him the way he should go? Does he trust you as a son should do? Do you make him your friend or your slave? Will he stand out some day from his fellow men, honest, pure, and brave? Oh, cotton and peanuts, wheat and corn are things that are well to grow, and cattle and chickens and a bank account can be good for a man I know. But the ribbon you take and the money you make will bring but a mite of joy if you get to the hop of the hill one day, and find you've made a scrub of your boy. Father, I thank you that you've shown us the way and that we don't have to grapple and and grope and and wonder how is the way for us to go. Help us to be consistent in our lives as we raise our families, as we conduct commerce in our communities. Help us to be a bright and shining light for you That leaves no muddy tracks, no uh, confusing signals, to be a light for Jesus. Bless this congregation and uh, may they be a light in this community for your honor and glory. And give us rest tonight, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.